We have to be, I think, awfully careful sometimes because we know that as followers of Christ, we are called to be certain kinds of people and to do certain things. And I refer to that often in the sermons as, as our character and our conduct and, and or our character and our activity that God needs to be working on making us into certain people and then leading us and guiding us to do certain things. But we also have to remember that in our faith, it's not just about what we do and it's not just about who we are. Our faith is a personal faith in a God who is real and alive and present in our everyday lives. And sometimes we get so caught up in what we're supposed to do and who we're supposed to be that we forget we're also just to be in a love relationship with him. And it's a great reminder in that song choir of, of just to pause and give God praise for how beautiful he is. To pause and give him praise for who he is and, and for the love that he shares and just to worship him, just to uh, adore him, if you will, and to literally and figuratively both fall down on our knees in worship, knowing that he is worthy of our praise. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, it's good to be in your house. Lord, we've got a lot of things going on around us right now. Families that are in turmoil and people in the church, Lord, who have lost loved ones and who are facing other crises in their life. And Lord, we've got a lot going on in the world around us. Father, I just pray that in the midst of this time, we would just be led to be your people. That in whatever corner of the world we find ourselves, in whatever relationships we find ourselves, more than anything else, Lord, we would just, as the motto of the church is, strive to be more like you together. May the world see that. And may people come to you because of it. And we'll give you the glory and the praise and the honor for all that you do in and through us. It's in Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen. What regrets do you have in your life? I'm not going to ask you to stand up and list those for everybody today. But if you think about it, probably for some of you, some of them come right to the top of your mind. You think, here's my biggest regret. For others, you may have to dig a little bit deeper because you don't have that many significant regrets in your life. I've shared with you a few weeks ago about my, my fear of flying and my, my trip to Russia back years ago that, that really honestly changed my life. And I have thought so many times in my life when I have faced other things that I didn't want to do, other things that I was afraid to do or I just didn't want to make the commitment to do, that back in that day when I almost stayed home from Russia because I didn't want to get on an airplane, I would have missed the best, probably most influential two weeks of my entire life in ministry and all relationships and everything else. But there is a, a regret I do have that I didn't overcome, and, and that is growing up, my mom had a dream that I would learn to play the piano. I wanted to learn to play the piano too, and, and so I went through lessons, but along came this game that I love more than, foot, than a piano, it was called football. And so I started taking less piano lessons and spending more time in football and in the gym and doing all these things. And finally, it became too much, and I just told my mom, I don't want to take any more piano lessons. There is not hardly a, a day goes by that I don't regret that decision. I sit down now, and I can play like the third grade level of piano, and I wish so much that I would have stuck with that and learned actually to be able to play the piano in my life. What kind of regrets do you have in your life? 
We've been looking at this journey that Nehemiah has taken and trying to figure out who we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to do as followers of Christ and, and really specifically looking at you as the Clarksburg Baptist Church and the, where you're at right now and, and your journey of, of getting ready to bring on a new leader and trying to discern who that is and looking at a new era in ministry that lays before you. And in the midst of all of this, what I want to talk to you about today as we kind of end this series is this, and that is that faithfulness, hear these words, faithfulness is often the most difficult component of our faith. Hanging in there, staying the course, faithfulness is often the most difficult component of our faith. Now, if you haven't been here, or just simply for review, let me share with you where we are in Nehemiah's story. First of all, Nehemiah is in this kind of comfortable life. He is a, a slave, if you will. He's in captivity, but he has a pretty good job, a pretty good role in his society. And he's doing his kind of normal routine. And, and here come some folks from Jerusalem where there is a remnant of Israelites who have been there. The people are in distress. The walls are broken down. And Nehemiah says, how are those people back there? And he hears this report that things aren't good and, and it breaks his heart and he literally weeps and he prays and his vision is expanded. The picture of his life goes way beyond his own needs. It, it goes way beyond his own town, way beyond his own family. And he begins to have a broken heart for things that are going on across the world in a much bigger picture than he had ever noticed before. And out of that bigger picture, he was driven to do something about it. He saw that there was a need that God could work through him to meet. And so he goes to Jerusalem through a series of a lot of sacrifices and commitment. And he gets there and he realizes that there's no way I can do this work alone. That we can't really do anything that God wants us to do unless we do it as a team. And so he gets the Israelites together and they put their hands to the work. And as soon as they begin to do the work, what happens? Opposition arises, right? And he handles that opposition. He expects that opposition to arise. And in the midst of all of this, what we saw last week was there is this understory of prayer and script, being in the scriptures that strengthens Nehemiah and strengthens the Israelites. And so for us today, what we're looking at in closing this out is if we develop that big picture and if we're moved to meet the needs of people across our world, if we realize we need to do it together and we work as a team, if we begin to godly deal in a godly way with the opposition that comes, if we're dedicated to prayer and, and the scripture that kind of gives us that strength and fuels uh, the fire for everything that we do, then what is the last kind of thing we learn from Nehemiah? It is this whole idea of faithfulness. If we progress on in Nehemiah's story, what we see is this. God's work that they accomplish is celebrated. God's work is worthy of celebration. All through the Bible, when God does something awesome to or through his people, they celebrate. And that's what we find happening in the book of Nehemiah now as the walls are rebuilt, as they are celebrating. Look at Nehemiah chapter 12, verse 27 through 29. The walls have been rebuilt. They have done the work that God called them to do. And it tells us this starting in verse 27. <coughs> At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites were sought out from where they lived and were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully the dedication with songs of thanksgiving and with the music of cymbals, harps, and lyres. The singers also were brought together from the region around Jerusalem, from the villages of the Nephites. I have a cough drop in right now. It's really killing me. 
I'm, I'm at this uh, point of whether I should actually crunch it and chew it up in front of you or just continue to let it work. From Beth, Beth Gilgal and from the area of Geba and Asmaveth, for the singers had built villages for themselves around Jerusalem. They're simply just celebrating. They're celebrating what God has done through them. Look over at 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 5. We just have another picture of celebration. It's David and the whole house of Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord with songs, with harps, lyres, tambourines, sistrums, and cymbals. In Psalm 145, 3 through 7, we get this verse of Scripture. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. They will speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They will tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They will celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. Isn't it cool to celebrate? Amen? Tell me something. How many of you have been in this church over 10 years? Raise your hand. Stand up and tell me something that you remember celebrating as a congregation. Maybe it's something in your own family. Maybe it's something as a church. Just what is a memory when you can remember a smile on your face and a song in your heart because of something that's going on? Stand up and tell me. Baptism, Baptism okay. Baptism of your children, okay. Who else? Births. Births, okay. Who else? You're giving me a chance to chew his cough drop up, so keep going. <laughs> Revivals as a kid, okay. Bible school. Bible school. What else? Annual picnic. Annual picnic, good. Celebrate recovery. Celebrate recovery, good. What else? Just shout it out. Church plays. Church plays. Okay. What else? When we get together for the Super Bowl. I Super Bowl party. Right. Okay. I, I want you to listen to the celebration of what goes on because what happens when we do this exercise is this. We hardly ever celebrate those things that are just protecting what we have. We work so hard in the church sometimes to, to protect our traditions and to protect the things that we have, but we hardly ever celebrate those things. I would say to you that every single one of you who said what you said, even when you said Bible school and church plays, you were thinking in terms of an experience you had with people in this church who loved you and cared for you and were godly to you, and they did something that made a difference in someone else's lives. Am I right? No, I'm not right. Yes, I am right. That's what we celebrate, isn't it? We celebrate when God makes a difference in the lives of people. And that's exactly what's happening here. It's not just the walls that are being rebuilt. It's the fact that Israel is back in God's will. It's the fact that they are reading Scripture again. It's the fact that they are seeking the will of God again. It's the fact that all of this is coming together. Remember the parable of the talents in the New Testament? If I can just summarize it for you, there are several folks who get some stuff. And the master says, here, take care of this. And the ones who go and do something with it, and they have a return on their investment, when the master comes back, they hand it to them. But the one person who goes and buries it and says, look, I'm going to make sure that nobody messes with this. I'm going to make sure that nobody taints this. I'm going to make sure that nobody steals this, that nobody messes this thing up that we have gone. He is not the one who is commended, is he? 
Same thing goes in the church. We don't celebrate those things we protect. We celebrate those things that make a difference. We celebrate those things that move us forward in changing the lives of others. We don't even celebrate protecting our own reputation. Years ago, I had a bit of a conflict in the church that I pastored, and it was with a personnel member. It was with a person on staff. A long story short is the person left our staff, and in the wake of leaving had a lot of mutual relationships with people that I knew. And this individual told their side of the story to all of those mutual friends. And I found myself every day thinking, I got to call so-and-so and set the record straight. I got to call so-and-so and let them know what really happened because this is hurting my reputation. People think I did these things that I really did not do. And I had a, a real wise friend who said to me, look, when did God ever call you to protect your reputation. God called you to serve him. Let him take care of your reputation. Hardest thing I ever did was to listen to some of those comments, to hear some of those things being said and not chase them down and just say it's in your hands, Lord. I want to tell you, within five years, almost to the individual, every single one of those people sought me out and apologized because of the fact that through experience, they had seen that this probably wasn't true what had been said. Now, even if that didn't happen, it was still the right thing to do. It was really hard, but we're not called to protect. How many times I've seen people in the church think that they have to protect God's reputation? Think that they have to protect God's name? Think that they have to protect God's building? When we did the youth lunch alternative at South, I've told you this story before. Never forget the, young, the older guy saying to me, people are going to be using the F word in this building. And we got to make sure that doesn't happen. F word is failure for those of you who don't know. <laughs> no, just kidding. It's not. <laughs> and I said to him, I pray that they do. Which wasn't a crowning moment in my leadership. But I said, I pray that they do. You know why? Because that means we got the right people in here we need to reach. And you know what? That was an awesome thing. God didn't need us to protect his sanctuary from the F word. He didn't need us to protect his sanctuary from people who may not use it right or, or be right. He needs us to serve him. Real celebration comes when, we, when God changes someone's life through us or in our presence. When people are saved, when people do something to make a difference. You remember the story of the prodigal son, right? Prodigal son's out living in wild and riotous living, and he comes back home. And in verse 32 of chapter 15, I don't know if you've ever noticed this before, but this is the language that's used in that verse. It says, but we had to celebrate and be glad. It doesn't say we chose to celebrate and be glad. It doesn't say it was a good idea that we celebrate and be glad. It says we had to celebrate and be glad. Let me tell you something. There are way too many of us in the Christian faith today who don't understand that it is our calling to celebrate and be glad when God works in the midst of his people. The Israelites were celebrating in Nehemiah because God had done an awesome work through them. He had done an awesome work for them. They were committed and focused on his mission and his vision and nothing could be better. And this is what we should live and breathe as the church. Let God protect our reputation. Let God protect our traditions, the one he wants us to have. Let us be serious about what he's doing in our midst and what he wants to do through us. And so, Nehemiah, we come to chapter 13. And it is a great story. 
and a great ending of celebration about what God has done. But the problem is, it's not the ending. The problem is, there are a bunch of story after the celebration that happens. And what we begin to see out of this is that celebration is only a pit stop in the path of faithfully following God's will. It's not the end of the race. That, that we don't get to a place while we're still in this world where we can celebrate and say our work is done. Our work is behind us and someone else can do the work from now on or I've done all I need to do and celebrate what's happened. That's great to celebrate, but then it's time to get out of the pits and to get back on the track. In Nehemiah 13, 1 through 3, look at this. Listen to this, just what's happening in the beginning of chapter 13. On that day, the book of Moses was read aloud in the hearing of the people, and there it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever be admitted into the assembly of God, because they had not met the Israelites with food and water, but had hired Balaam to call curse down on them. Our God, however, turned a curse into a blessing. Now, verse 3, the point of this verse is this. When the people heard this law, they excluded from Israel all who were of foreign descent. Now, the point of this scripture is this. They're listening to the word and they're doing what it says. They're in the Old Testament scriptures and, and it's a little different there. The law is a little more rigid there. And, and yet they're, they're reading the scriptures and they're being obedient. But skip down to verse 10. Seven verses later, Nehemiah is discovering some things after an absence. He says, I also learned that the portions assigned to the Levites had not been given to them, and all the Levites and singers responsible for the service had gone back to their own fields. So I rebuked the officials and asked them, why is the house of God neglected? Then I called them together and stationed them at their post. Seven verses later, the house of God is literally being neglect neglected. In one chapter... All the celebration, all the joy, all the obedience slips back to everybody goes back home and does what they were doing in the beginning. Everybody returns to their normal way of life. Everybody defaults to the way that they handle things. They did the work, they were committed, they had a bigger vision, they prayed. They dealt with the conflict well. They were obedient to God. They celebrated. And then they went home. One of my favorite cartoons in the whole wide world is this guy that's sitting in front of his boss. And he's got a t-shirt on. And it says, Employee of the Month, August, hyphen, 1974. <laughs> Someone proud of the fact that in August of 1974, I reached my peak. In August of 1974, I did something awesome. And that is great. But August of 1974 does not make a difference in the lives of people today. And so no matter what we've done in the past, there comes a time when we say, you know what? Praise God for what was done in the past. We're building on the foundation of what people have done in the past. But Clarksburg Baptist Church, you have days ahead of you that are unbelievable if you're faithful to God. That can be better than any days in your past. That your kids and grandkids can look back on and go, wow, we got a lot of foundation to build on because of their faithfulness. The way too often in the church, we like to rest on the laurels 
of what we've done before. That lunch alternative that I'm referring to, let me tell you a little bit about that. It was one of the most exciting things we ever did in the church. Just a little thing. Didn't, make, didn't seem like it would make a big difference at all. And we decided we're going to open the gym up for the students at Parkersburg South High School to come over and eat pizza at lunch. They had 30 minutes to walk clear from the school over to our gym, be served pizza, have a can of pop, and go back. We had about 15 minutes with them when they got there. We prepared for 100 kids to come over because we had a pretty good youth group and we thought most of them would come. We averaged over 700 kids on Friday at this lunch. We were voted by the school as the second coolest thing at Parkersburg South High School. And it wasn't called the South Parkersburg Baptist Church Youth Lunch Alternative, which is what we called it. You know what it was called? It was Jesus Pizza. That's what the students called it. Jesus Pizza. Now, I don't know of one person that got saved coming over and eating Jesus Pizza. But I know this, the senior citizens that served them because they were the only ones who had time off on Fridays at noon, the senior citizens who served them, when they started passing away over the years, there would be a hundred students from the high school show up at their funerals. They would get Christmas cards from a hundred students just because of relationships. One guy handed out lollipops every week and it changed the lives of kids. And I can tell you this, in the 10 years that followed the youth lunch alternative, we had tons of people come to the church after they got married saying, we've never been in church before, but we're really starting to take this religion thing seriously. And the only church we ever had anything to do with was here when we came for Jesus Pizza, so we'd like to attend. Here's what happened. One day, the Board of Education decided we're going to build a bigger cafeteria and we're going to shut down lunches at the high schools for security reasons. And our church had this collective sigh of despair. What are we going to do? How are we going to keep having Jesus pizza when the kids aren't allowed to leave the campus? Well, we've got to figure out a way to get over there. We've got to figure out a way to get pizza over there. We've got to do all of this. And finally, I stood up and I said, folks, here's the deal. Praise God for the youth lunch alternative, but it is over. It's done. Thank God for the memories. Let's celebrate it, but let's bury it and figure out what the next thing God wants us to do to reach those kids is. And it may have absolutely nothing to do with pizza and pop. It may be something completely different, but we hang on so long to those things we did in the past that worked that we miss the things God wants us to do now that work even better. We can't rest on the laurels of what God has done. We must march forward into His vision. How many of you all watched football games last weekend? Yep, getting ready for the Super Bowl, right? A lot of celebration going on when they won those conference titles, wasn't there? A lot of interviews, people were happy, champagne was being popped. But I guarantee you, when they walk on the field at the Super Bowl, that's behind them. They're not going to walk on the field of the Super Bowl with champagne in their hair. Having just celebrated, they're going to be ready for the next game. There's a time for celebration, but it's a pit stop only. We've got to move forward. Philippians, you know this. Verse, chapter 3, verse 13 and 14. Paul says, brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind... And straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Here's, here's my theory of what happens in the church. Every time we do something in the church, there is this kind of pull down that happens. And if you can imagine 
a, a, a stair, a set of stairs. It, it's like one step goes up to the next step. You got, you got me? You got this visual here? And we make this step in God's will. It's not easy. It takes commitment to go one step further. It takes commitment to do what God wants us to do, right? And what happens is as we're making that step, there are always the opposition and there's always Satan pulling at us. It's like we're heavy making that step. But we get up there and we start to see God's doing some amazing things up on this step, don't we? And kind of the opposition fades away and it becomes our new normal. And we celebrate because we're doing this neat stuff. And we did neat stuff down there too, but we're doing really neat stuff here. And, and then God says, take another step. And some of the very people who were so excited about taking the last step are the very ones who pull you down about taking the next step. Right? It, this kind of thing happens over and over in the church. It's just reality. What we got to remember is don't ever stop making the steps. No matter how hard it gets, no matter how much there is pull against you by Sanballat and Tobiah and those guys, the, uh, Geshem the Arab and Nehemiah, keep on making the steps because there's always something more. There's always something else God wants you to do. Nehemiah 13, 11. Nehemiah's response to this was, So I rebuked the officials and asked them, Why is the house of God neglected? Then I called them together and stationed them at their post. Get back to work. But it's so hard to be faithful because we become so distracted away from our mission. Why are you here at this church? Honestly, seriously, why are you here? I pastored what I would arguably say was one of the best churches in the whole wide world. Not just because I was there. But it has been for a long time. Very unique. I was only the fourth pastor in 54 years of that church. All of us stayed for 20 plus, 25 plus years. Never a church split. Few little conflicts, but just good people doing great things. But I know this. Some people were there because they liked the way I preached. Some people were there because they liked our music. Some people were there because they liked our children's program. They liked our youth program. The thing is, those are all good things. But we all ought to be here for one reason. And it is God has called us to be here to join with this group to make disciples for Jesus Christ. That's the reason you're here. So when you make your decisions, it ought to be, how can we make disciples for Jesus Christ? Not 20 years ago. Not in Parkersburg or in Silicon Valley. How can we best make disciples for Jesus Christ this year, right here, and be a part of God's will? But it's so hard to be faithful because we're distracted away from the mission. When I was in high school, I loved this girl in the band. She was something else in my sight. I flirted with her all the time. She never gave me the time of day. And one night I was leaving a football game, and I was a cool football player. And I was in my 1984 Chevrolet Cavalier standard transmission. <clears throat> and I was in back-to-back -back traffic coming out of the PHS uh, field or the PHS stadium, 
because South had to play at PHS back then. <clears throat> and I look over and here goes Kim walking down the sidewalk with a couple of friends. And as I, she catches my eye, I decide to be really cool and to holler something at her about how good looking she is or something. And, and when I do, I go, bam, into the back of the car in front of me. <clears throat> to which I did get her attention. She turned over, looked at me, rolled her eyes and kept on walking. Never said a word. When we're distracted from our mission, we get in trouble. When we take our eyes off of what God wants us to do, we get in trouble. What happens when we're distracted from our mission is we trade generosity for greed. In Nehemiah 13, I've got to hurry up here, but in chapter 4, what you'll see is the very people who had opposed the building of the wall are now using God's storehouse for their own personal goods. The people had become greedy rather than generous. When they were building the wall, they were so generous with their time and with their work and with their finances but now God's storeroom has become a storeroom for household goods of the enemy because of greed and the things that they had worked out there. When we're distracted from the mission, we take the worship of God for granted. And so worship begins to lack. And, and we, we start to argue about whether it's a guitar or a, or a piano and all that kind of stuff. And God never told us what kind of instruments he wants us to play in worship because, frankly, I don't think he cares. He tells us in chapter John, in John 4 that he wants us to worship him in spirit and in truth. When we stay faithful to the mission, we don't get distracted on these other things. God reveals his will. He calls us to obedience, and we do it. And we change, and we grow, and we mature. And as a result, people's lives are changed. Here's the thing. When this happens... There is a mixed emotion in the fellowship. You remember that character Ezra we talked about last week? He's the one who came back and actually built the foundation of the temple. If you go over to the book that bears his name in chapter 3, verse 11 through 13, you have this amazing couple verses of scripture. <clears throat> this is after the foundation has been built to the temple says, with praise and thanksgiving they sang to the Lord. He is good. His love to Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Doesn't this sound fun? Doesn't this sound fun to be doing God's will and everybody together shouting praise and celebrating because it's done? But look at this. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple, wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. No one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping because the people made so much noise and the sound was heard far away. What in the world? When you take that step, the next step in your journey as a church, there will be people who will always say, I wish it was like it used to be. And they will weep because it ain't like it used to be. Others won't remember how it used to be. And they'll be so excited because we're doing something new and fresh and people's lives are being changed. But the point is, even those who are weeping and even those who are shouting for joy, in the first verse it says they were praising God. It's okay 
to weep over what used to be. And it's okay, you who don't remember how it used to be, to wrap these people in your loving arms and say, I don't completely understand, but it's okay. I treasure and value your past. I wouldn't be here if it weren't for that. It's okay to move forward, even though it's not going to be like it used to be. As a matter of fact, the only other option is to stop and wither away. Bigger vision. No matter how big it's been in the past, there is more need out there that God needs you to meet. There is more you can do as individuals and as a church. You need a bigger picture. You need to understand that you won't accomplish this thing that God wants you to accomplish on your own. You got to do it together. You young people won't do it without the older folks. You older folks won't do it without the younger folks. You men won't do it without the women, and you women won't do it without the men. As a congregation in a body of Christ, you need to join together and put your hands to the work. And then understand that there's going to be opposition. And it's going to be hard. And people are going to say to you, you can't do it. And people are going to say to you, I'm going to make sure you don't do it. And people are going to say to you, you're horrible because you did do it. But you just keep on doing it. That's what God wants. And you undergird it all with prayer. And getting deep into his word. And letting it get deep into you. And then, when you have worked and given and committed and sacrificed... And you get up one morning and you're like, I am tired. I am worn out. Then you get down on your knees and you ask God for the strength for just one more day. Because when you really do work that's eternal, it's when you stay the course. And you do it long term. And you do it consistently. We are called to stay the course. Join me in a word of prayer.